He smashed pretty much every billboard and streaming record that matters. It has already been streamed more than a billion times. Billion. People still to this day point to, this is the moment everything changed. But whether you agree with those claims or not, this podcast isn't really about him. Either you're not an astute businessman or you're inherently racist when it comes to black music in this country. This is not a Drake podcast. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. Hello, I'm Isabelle Racico. And I'm Martine Saint-Victor. Welcome to Seat at the Table. Each week on the show, we'll tackle topics Isabel and I debate and discuss in our daily lives, just like old friends do. <laughs> and we'll bring you intimate conversations with guests shaping pop culture and the media. This week, our Elephant in the Room segment asks the question, can a woman be a boss without being labeled a B-word? Yep, this is our first mature language warning. And just a heads up, we'll use the word in full a few times today. We've invited Jen Ag to join us in this conversation. Jen runs several successful restaurants in Canada, and she just came out with a memoir this year titled, I Hear She's a Real Bitch. We also got tons of reaction to our last elephant in the room when we debated whether my 13-year-old son was too young to get a cell phone. So you'll hear some of the advice we got later in the show. But first, like many of you, uh, I'm sure Isabel and I have had Charlottesville, Virginia on our mind mm -hmm. since last weekend and uh, the horrifying events that took place. So we'll share some of our thoughts with you coming up on Seat at the Table. Dozens are injured as white nationalists clashed with counter-demonstrators in Charlottesville today. Hundreds of people turned out to protest the removal of a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee from a public park. Hundreds more came to demonstrate against racism. A woman was killed amid the many injured when a car was intentionally rammed into a crowd of people demonstrating against the white supremacists. We now know the name of the man charged in that car attack. His name is James Alex Fields Jr. of Ohio. He is said to have been a Nazi enthusiast, uh, infatuated with Adolf Hitler. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry and violence on many sides, on many sides. Bottom line is it was another ugly weekend in this country, leaving so many Americans stunned, enraged and saddened yet again. You just heard a clip of uh, a summary of what happened last weekend in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, Isabel and, and I couldn't not talk about it, uh, how we felt, um, not only as blacks, but also as Canadians. How does this affect us as a country? And um, Isabel, I don't know how, how you felt. I mean, we've spoken about it a little bit, but not really in depth, because I think you and I are both uh, still a bit unshocked. Um, on my part, I was sad. I was mad. I was scared. I have family and friends in the United States, uh, blacks, Jews, mm. Hispanics, gays. Mm. So I'm scared for them. Yeah. 
Mm. I know. I know. And and um, I remember when I was watching last week the images, I was thinking, am I looking at live images or am I looking at a documentary from the 1960s? Because to me, this type of rally, this... <sighs> This idea that there is this white supremacy uh, is so foreign in the way I've been living my life here in Canada. And so to see these images and see the violence, I was thinking, are we going backwards? Are we going backwards? And the second thought was, what do I do as a parent? You know, I have two young kids. And as a visible minority parent, I have no choice to have a discussion with them. And we were debating, my husband and I, are we going to let them watch these images and show them the real thing and see what it is? Or do we wait and try and frame it in such a way that they still feel that this world is positive and that there's hope and that we explain it to them in a better light? Mm -hmm. And tell you honestly, I think that these last couple of years in general have been tremendously challenging for parents of all origins, whether you're white or black or Asian. I mean, there's terrorism, there's the police brutality. I mean, there's so many different things going on. We always try and find the right words to talk to our kids. But it's getting confusing for them. And I'm looking at my son, Justin, who's 11. He was two years old when Barack Obama became president. Mm -hmm. All he's known in his life is a black president. So he doesn't see the big deal. And four or five years ago with his older brother, we showed them documentaries on Martin Luther King Jr. and, you know, the civil rights movement because we wanted them to understand their past and where they come from in a certain way. And also because they don't teach that in schools. Also because they don't teach that in school because we wanted to show them, you know, the tremendous work that had been done and where we were today. But I have to say that it feels that we're going backwards. And I'm not quite sure I found the perfect things to say to my kids, but this is what I know for sure. I think that as parents, we have to teach our kids to be self-confident, to uh, understand that they're equal to the kid next to them, and that the, no matter what they see in terms of violence, in, in terms of extremists, in terms of words like white supremacy and KKK and neo-Nazi, that it doesn't take away their self-worth as human beings. That's going to be my work as a parent. Mm -hmm. But for the rest, I mean, I'm still wondering if I said the right things, if I did the right thing with my kids. I mean, all of this is still troubling, and we're a week later now. Um, and I'm still, you know, figuring out how to deal with it all. Mm -hmm. Well, it's still very, still very raw. You mentioned before, you know, you, you saw the images and you, you were wondering, am I in the 1950s? <laughs> I want to tell you about James Byrd Jr. Uh, in 1998, he was kidnapped by three supremacists in Texas. They tied him up to uh, the back, in the back of a pickup truck and they oh, drove yeah. that truck for many kilometers. And they drove the truck with him being in the back until he hit a rock and his head was cut off and his arm was cut off. This was 1998. This, at the time, I was living in the United States. So for me, the horrors of the KKK 
don't only live in black and white news reports of the 1950s. They are in living color. Mm. And so when I saw the images of Charlottesville, on one part, I was in disbelief because I can't even imagine that we're still dealing with this rubbish in, in, in 2017. But another part of me said, you know what? As unacceptable as it is, well, Trump has been delivering on a promise. He gave them a platform. I mean, these people were marching. They're so confident that there's going to be very little consequences. They, weren't, they didn't even put a hood on. Mm. So this is where we are. We have normalized hate. We keep on pushing what the tipping point should be to uh, uh, a revolution. or, And so this is what we get. And so I'm a little bit unimpressed with the Jimmy Fallon's of this world and the GOP members, the Republicans who today are outraged by that because Jimmy Fallon had Donald Trump on his show and made him look, you know, uh, as amusing as could be. There are mm. other hosts who took stands. So for you today to be outraged for uh, GOP members and for business leaders who are leaving the president's council, I find, you know, you know what? You're a day late. You're a dollar short. We can't live this situation and by pointing our finger and saying, oh, this is happening on the other side of the border. It isn't. And, you know, January 29th, 2017 is proof that it doesn't only happen at the other side of the border. What January 29th is yeah. the date when suspected killer Alexandre Bissonnette mm-hmm. walked into a mosque in Quebec City and killed six worshippers, mm-hmm. injuring 19 others. Mm-hmm. And we have reports and we hear it and we see it. The right in Canada is organizing. What's happening in the States is happening over here. Uh, we have politicians who are flirting with the same rhetoric the same way, you know, we were rolling our eyes a year ago when Trump was uh, using this type of rhetoric. Look at where we are today. And it's the same thing in Canada. And so. But how do we navigate through that? Mm-hmm. What we've seen in the last couple of weeks, years, is to me really sad and disgusting. And we have to figure out how we can manage yeah. the future. That's what's important. And I still want to believe there's hope. And I still want to believe that we're going to move forward and that w- things will get better. Well, we, we have know, to. Maybe we're in yeah. a slump. As humanity, we're probably in a slump right now. Yeah, we have to find hope. But also, uh, I'd say, Isabel, that we have to be more engaged. When I look at the percentage of people who go vote on election day, it's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we can't just roll our eyes when we hear a politician using rhetoric that he shouldn't be used. We need mm. to call it out. And I think the media has a role to play in that as well. Do we give platforms to people who have hate speech? I don't know. They have enough platforms. I saw media interviewing uh, leaders of the white supremacy group. Why don't you go talk to Jews who have families who died in the Holocaust? Why don't you go talk to blacks who had crosses burnt on their front lawn? Well, see, that's where we differ because as a visible minority... I'd love to sit down and understand how you can think that because you're not white, you're just not oh, as good. You, oh, you can I sit would down. love to have this discussion you can and have... understand where it comes from. Well, the... I, I don't understand in 2017 how somebody can still think like that. Well, so... you know what? I don't understand it either. I don't understand how somebody can walk into a mosque and kill worshippers. I don't understand how somebody walked into a church last year and killed uh, nine, nine people mm-hmm. in, in a church. I don't understand it. I don't even want to understand it. For me, those are excuses. That's hate. That's ignorance. There is no explanation. So am I saying that no white supremacist should uh, should be interviewed? 
I don't even have the answer because I think we've heard all the, all the BS that they have to say. Well, this is why I have hope. It's because when I look at my kids and how they play in their schoolyards and how everybody is so mixed and that they don't care anymore about the color of somebody's skin and religion, I have hope that this generation will be much better than we are. I hope so because or else we're, to be honest, we're doomed. And again, I come back to normalizing hate. I think we've become insensitive to some of the injustices that we hear and that we see. And sometimes we, we're only outraged when it's our group that's being uh, targeted. I think, you know, you don't have to be black or Jewish to be offended when you hear, uh, let's get those niggers and Jews out of the country. No, you can be offended only when it's your people. You have to be offended when anybody's being targeted. And I think really it's, it has to be more than sharing a Facebook post. It has to be more than sharing a hashtag. I really feel that we need to fire up the citizen engagement. And I come back to the voting booth. So how do we close this? This is it for me. Well, you need to be a bit more positive about, well, about today, the future. Uh, no, today I'm a little bit, I'm too pissed, too scared, too mad to even uh, find the silver lining. Because I feel like this is deja vu. Um, nope. You know? Mm. Nope. I, I see it in politicians here in Quebec and in Canada. I hear the rhetoric. That too is embarrassing. So no, I don't have hope right now. So what do you think? I'd love to hear what our listeners have to say about it. Yes. You know, the parents out there, what have you been telling your kids? Mm. For those like uh, Martine who are sad and outraged, share it with us. Go ahead. Seat at cbc.ca. Coming up next, the elephant in the room. Hillary Clinton and Angela Merkel, two Madonna strong women, are often seen as cold, and the B word is thrown around, and not just in uh, you know hushed anecdote conversations around the water cooler. So this got us thinking: Can a woman be a boss without being labeled a bitch? I, I keep on enjoying saying this word. I, I know this is why the CBC is <laughs> about to pull you out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the topic of this week's Elephant in the Room. To join us in this conversation, we've invited Jen Ag. Jen is a successful restaurateur who runs, amongst others, Toronto's Black Hoof mm -hmm. and Grey Garden, as well as one of my favorite, Montreal's Agricole. Yes. She came out with a memoir recently, and it's called I Hear She's a Real Bitch. Welcome to the table, Jen. Hi, guys. Hi. <laughs> so first of all, Jen, tell us, um, what is your definition of a bitch? And well, more I see, precisely, I, what, why do people call you that? It doesn't really matter what my definition of a bitch is. The whole point of the title is that it's used derisively. It's thrown around. Uh, it's weaponized and has been against women for a really long time. I've sort of described it as taking back the night, but it's not, it's not just that. It's why is that how women are seen? That's the question. And why is that? It's a very simple answer, just a double standard. It's complicated by so many things in so many ways, but it's quite simply, it's just a double standard. When women do things that are, you know, traditionally seen as leadership qualities that are um, in men admired, lauded, worshipped even, mm -hmm. when women do it, it's 
oh, who does she think she is? Oh my God, she's so bossy. Yeah. And that, and it's just, it's just, it's just not fair. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not fair. Jen, your memoir is the journey from when you opened your first bar to where you are today. Right. And do you think you've quote unquote earned that reputation as a bitch? Well, no, of course not. That's the point of the book is yeah. that, you know, I mean, I, I've earned a reputation and a deserved one as a good leader, as a good mm-hmm. boss, yeah. as a long-term caring employer, as all of these qualities that sort of get overlooked for, you know, how dare she have opinions? How dare she say what she thinks? And I understand that ultimately I am more Uh, and I hesitate to use the word outspoken, but I'll say things maybe more directly than most women and even most men. So I understand where the idea of somebody thinking I'm bristly or, but you know, I just don't suffer fools. I don't have a lot of time and I I don't want to waste my time having conversations that I know aren't going anywhere. So Mm -hmm. how can women be respected, be assertive without being called the B word? What needs to change in order for it to Mm-hmm. also change. Our culture needs to change. That's the thing. I don't need to change how I am. No. Our culture needs to yeah. change how it's reacting to how I am. Mm-hmm. And I think that starts in education, in early childhood education, in schools, in religious institutions, with parents not sort of gendering and double standarding and really treating their boy children and their girl children as though they are capable of the same great things. Mm-hmm. That reminds me, Martine, you came up with a fascinating article in Fast Company yep. talking about, you know, women growing up. And as soon as they hit the age between, I think, nine and 16, they seem to change. Yeah. Well, actually, Fast Company has this study and they called the phenomenon losing their voice. Mm-hmm. So mm. it traces how young girls, you know, from a very young age are assertive. They're out mm-hmm. there. And as they grow older they start losing their voices. Well, because they're told not to. Exactly. Not because they instinctively stop Ex- saying things. Exactly. So they're trying to, so so they had a study and they, they figured out how to reverse this trend, if you will. Mm-hmm. So amongst the, the solutions, they say you have to encourage girls in their interests. You have to point out media pressure, including social media, and tell them, well, you see what you see is not really what it is. So in a sense, the fact that we've pointed out so early where we quote-unquote go wrong in, in teaching our girls, does that give you some kind of hope for the future? Yeah, I mean, of course, I, I, if we don't have hope, we die. You know, mm-hmm. I have to believe that things can get better, and I, it, I think we, we all exist in bubbles. So, you know, in my industry or in my, in my neighborhood or in my restaurants, I see young women maybe being different than I remember, you know, 22-year-olds being when I was that age. Certainly, it's it's so compl- it's I don't know I don't know like I want to say not even sure if there's a hope I mean, <laughs> from your answer. Like, I think I think it's a really difficult challenge. We're so valued for beauty and sexuality, and not that you know. Of course, obviously, we're all of and that. we're criticized for we're criticized <laughs> for our sexuality. All, you know, it's just, it's so complicated, and it's really difficult to be a woman in this culture, but it's really difficult to be a man too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like right. feminism is for men too. Right. One of the examples I like a lot is one of Quebec's former finance minister, Monique Jérôme Forget. The moniker that was attached to her was the Iron Lady. And recently in Thatcher, an, <laughs> yeah, like Thatcher. Yeah. And recently in an interview, she said, you know, that's not even close to who I am. However, 
having that epithet stuck mm-hmm. to who I am. When I walked into a boardroom, when I walked into a meeting, people sat up straight and were more on their guard. So it commanded respect. Yeah. So in a sense, you know, I think we can, don't you find, Jen, that we can use that as power? So this is a really good opportunity to slip in the idea that I, I think is very important. We don't and shouldn't have to behave like men have been behaving as leaders to be leaders. When I'm teaching people how to do things, I am unrelenting. It's Pavlovian. I will teach you to get it right. That's really what what I excel at in my restaurants is polishing. I have managers and other head servers to get a new person to the point where I feel like it's time now for me to like really get things oriented. And I'm going to do it in a way that is... Um, it's not harsh, but it's repetitive, and it's I, after three or four times of telling some, someone something, I'm going to say, I'm not telling you this again, but I can lead with warmth. And I mean, I think those things are actually what makes a better leader. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Yes, you can be astute in your ideas, and you can be extremely direct in how you want things, but you can also be empathetic. And I mean, those qualities of that are traditionally male and female being brought together are really what makes better leaders. I agree with you. But then again, listen to this. In 2011, a UCLA study asked 60,000 participants whether they prefer a male boss or a female boss. And the majority, including women, oh, including that, women, on that. said they prefer a male boss. Mm-hmm. We are our own worst enemies. This is another huge prong of this many-pronged problem. First of all, criticism within the community of, are you feministing wrong? <laughs> women not actually being supportive, internalized misogyny, women who get to the top of the mountain and then don't want to look around and see other women up there with them. I mean, there's... Yeah, we we are doing this to ourselves. I find that women are harder on me. Well, one hundred percent, and it really annoys me because I feel that because you're going up or you're doing something, they don't want to encourage you. They don't want to help you. And this weekend, I was watching an NFL life story. They were talking about this running back that was at four yards of breaking a record. What did all the other colleagues did? Even from the other teams. They right. helped him. Yeah. Encouraging. They helped yeah, yeah. him. We are going to get you yeah. your record. Yeah. And they all worked together to, yeah. to do it. And the other teams congratulated him when he did it. Yes. yes. But we don't do that in the workforce as women. We don't help each other. You see that one, not one enough. is good. Not enough. No. You, you, not I'm, enough. I'm generalizing. Yeah, but not I enough. Find- and, and, but I do agree with you. And I think this has never been as clear as in the last American presidential election. And so for me, the Hillary case, and you don't have to agree with her politics. That's Mm -hmm. fine. That's that's your prerogative. But her rise to where she is today is filled with hurdles created by women. I I agree with Mm -hmm. you. And so every time she affirmed her independence, that's when she got criticized. When she decided to keep We all drink the water. This is the water we swim in. And we are not immune from being infected by, right. you know, the patriarchy. That's right. <laughs> a little traumatic. That's right. Because yeah. Hillary decided to keep her maiden name. They criticized her mm-hmm. back in Arkansas. Which is insane. Insane. She Can decided to She decided to continue to practice law when Big Willie was Oh, but shouldn't governor. she be pumping out babies and right. just be a mom? And like, so it's all these times that women said, oh, yeah. but Hillary. You know what I mean? And so yeah. for, for all of us collectively, I think the American presidential election we just had is a cold shower for many reasons, but specifically on how women treat women. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, Isabel and I have had this conversation for a long time. I've been running a business for almost 15 years, and Isabel started running a business a couple of years ago. And I remember telling her, you know, Isabel, no woman on top has done it being Mary Poppins. And the reason is 
because if you're too nice or if you're just yourself and not as assertive as you're, you should be, people will take advantage of that. So at, at one point, you have to crack some nuts because people will do things to you they wouldn't do to a man. But that, oh, yes, then again, that's true. Right? But if that's it's true. not in my nature to be bitchy. It's you don't not. Ha- but you, and, and the thing is no. Bitchy that, isn't the same as assertive. That's, no. I think that's no. the point. Bitchy and assertive are not and the same. Demanding, but they, yes. I know, but the conversation we, we had for mm-hmm. many years was, well, yeah, you have to be a bitch to, to be on top. And I was saying, well, can we do it and be nice? No. And being assertive and bitchy are two different things. I but agree. They become the same thing when you have a vagina. <laughs> yes, right. and that's a, that's the, the problem. The right. yeah. that's the problem. We can't. Yeah, and also I, I wonder if it doesn't come with maturity. This support, this uh, uh, support of women, because former U.S. Secretary of State and former Ambassador Madeleine Albright says famously has said, "There's a special place in hell for women who don't help women." But she. I, 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 <laughs> But I, Which is, can be a kind of a naive thing too yeah, if you examine but, that statement. I mean, yeah. But my my what I women. my wonder is my wonder is did she also say that twenty five years ago or thirty years mm. ago when she was coming up? She says it now because mm-hmm. she's reached a certain gravitas. Basically, mm-hmm. she doesn't need anybody. So that's my my question. I don't know. I mean, I'm asking the question because yeah. I don't know. Does it I, come with age? Does it come with experience? I that want more people doing what I do who are women. That yeah. would be great. I mean, not you know, I'm not Secretary of State, and I'm not, not yet. president. <laughs> of the, I'm not, not interested yet. in politics. I can tell you that right now. I am no politician. But it does feel like a singular battle sometimes, and it's not because I'm necessarily isolating myself, but the things that I do in terms of criticizing my industry, it ends up being self-imposed isolation. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, you know, you keep criticizing bro chefs like they (laughs) they're not going to be that into it, you know. And so I I built an island and I've chosen to live on it. It doesn't mean I don't want more support, though, Mm -hmm. from women specifically. And, you know, get it. And it's starting to happen. I'm I'm really noticing a shift. I've started to notice that if I put up a post on Instagram that is sort of in the style of calling out something ugly that I've seen in the business that's been happening, maybe even six months or a year ago, I would have gotten a little support, but I also would have gotten a lot of people being like, how dare you use your platform to criticize, blah, 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 whatever. Um, And so now I'm starting to notice that it's actually, I'm getting a little more support. And I I can only attribute that to the idea that the levees are are maybe not cracking open, Mm. but the water is starting to leak through. I mean, you're seeing some mea culpas from big time chefs in the industry um, the ones who can write, you know, are maybe writing these like, I used to be so bad and now I'm good. And it's like, cool, if true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think there's like a, a tone shift that's really happening. And I think the smarter people in the industry are starting to realize which side of history they want to be on, mm-hmm. you know, again, to be a little dramatic. Yeah. Like, yeah. So uh, for the women listening and for the men listening. Yeah, it's for everyone. Right now, <laughs> you know, what needs to change rapidly? What can we do? In the workforce. In the workforce, concretely, like what can we Speak do? up. I mean, that's my answer is that when you're in a meeting and I mean, this is sort of outside my sort of purview because I don't work in a corporate environment necessarily. When you're in a meeting and you're sitting at a big desk and, you know, you have a great idea, speak up. When you have a man trying to explain your idea to you, call him on it. Like I think a lot of times women are so polite when somebody's and you know we all know about mansplaining when somebody's doing something like that just call them on and say hey actually and make it a joke or whatever if that's how you're comfortable be like uh here goes peter mansplaining again lol mm-hmm. and the more that we as strong women that have a voice that feel like you know we can actually speak up the more women who maybe don't have quite the same platform as women like us do will feel comfortable 
doing that. And the more that happens, the more men are going to start to check themselves. White men specifically, let's be real. They're going to start to check themselves. And maybe they're going to swallow that dumb thing they were about to say. Or maybe they're going to actually let you speak at the meeting. Let you, you know, Mm -hmm. take it. Sometimes you have to take things. Yeah. No, you said it. <laughs> um, what's the thing here? Is it a good thing or a bad thing to be called a bitch? What do I? What am I going to take away from this conversation? It's a bad uh, thing. It depends on the usage. It depends how someone's yeah. doing it. It's, of course, it's a bad. If, if somebody means it as a negative, it's a negative. It's not cool. Mm-hmm. Is it ever good? I mean, I think it's a great title for my book. I love it. <laughs> mm. Yes, I, I don't think it would have had the same impact if it were called. I hear she's a real princess. Uh, no, yeah, no. So, no. which will be the title of my book? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I roll. Jen, it was very fun to have you here. We wish you a lot of success. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope every uh, woman and men actually coming up in the workforce, regardless of their industries. I hope they read this book. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank yeah. you so much. That means a lot. I am a fan of yours. <laughs> that was a wonderful, wonderful chat. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Jen Ag. Thanks. That was our elephant in the room with guest Jen Ag, restaurant owner and the author of the memoir, I Hear She's a Real Bitch. We're still uh, getting reaction to last week's Elephant in the Room when we debated whether my 13-year-old son, Christopher, was too young to get a cell phone. First of all, uh, thanks to all of you who got in touch. And here's what some of you had to say. So Joanne Yulton in Chatham, Ontario, emailed to say, 13 years old is definitely too young. The excuse that it helps keep them safe is just an excuse. And she goes on to say, I have five children. I did not buy a phone for any of them. Once they were in college, yes, I said college, they purchased their phones and paid the bills themselves. Meanwhile, Frank in Whitecourt, Alberta says, I successfully pitched a cell phone for our 12-year-old daughter back in 2002 to an already ex-wife who was firmly against it. By pointing out that if our daughter has one, we have 24-7, 100%, no excuses, access to her. Slam dunk, no-brainer, done. Still applies today. Hmm. And many of you suggested I get my son a basic emergency phone. You know, something simple that doesn't cost much. And we really like one comment from one Facebook user who wrote, You're never too old to be too young for a cell phone. Are you 20, 35, 80 even? (laughs) Too young. Take it away. So thank you for sharing your experiences with us and for your advice. And we'd love to get your input on something else this week. What should our next elephant in the room be? What are the topics that you think many of us are thinking about but not talking about? So far on the show, we've spoken about everything from kids and cell phones to whether or not celebrities should apologize for private indiscretions. So if you have any suggestion, send it to us via email at seat at cbc.ca. And we always love to hear what you have to say about what you've heard on this show. Mm-hmm. You can also reach us on Facebook, Seat at the Table, or tweet us using the hashtag ACTCBC and by tagging at Martine Montreal and at Isabel Rassico. That's it for this week's show. I'm Martine Saint-Victor. And I'm Isabel Rassico. Seat at the Table is produced by Alan Johnson and Melissa Fondura with technical work by Melanie Vian. Seat at the Table is a CBC original podcast. To make sure you never, ever, ever miss an episode of Seat at the Table, subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to review us. Be kind. (laughs) And you won't want to miss next week's show when our elephant in the room looks at the stigma of being a parent that smokes pot. Puff, puff. 
I would never call it being high. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's not it's not the feeling of going to like Oshiega and <laughs> and, and and getting blitzed while you know. Broken social scene is is on stage. It's for me. It's it's exactly like having a beer at the end of the day to just to mellow out. I mean, by the time I get both my kids to sleep, I have very little time for myself to relax before I should really turn in. Just at the end of the night, just getting a little bit more mellow really helps me personally relax. And I also think it gives it it makes me more attentive to them as well instead of it being a a laundry list of things we have to do and yelling at them to move faster and brush their teeth and get into bed and this one gets out of bed while I'm putting this one to sleep and all those kind of things. (laughs) Our special guests for that discussion will be Toronto dad Matt Sadowski and Denver, Colorado's Catherine Van Eaton, aka the Stoner Mom. Yep. Until then, au revoir. revoir. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.